Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous, because by now it was after the fast. So Paul warned them. Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo, and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Hoda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Fearing that they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So, keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless those men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it fall away.
Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now, I urge you to take some food. <laughs> you need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the runners. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get their own planks or on pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land in safety. Welcome to Acts. Christ's ministry continues. Our verse-by-verse -verse journey through the fifth book of the New Testament, which is the history of our roots. This is our spiritual forefathers in action. This part of the book could be called The Adventures of Paul, the Christian Rabbi. He has been in prison for a couple years and has appealed to Caesar to hear his case. And so en route to meeting with Mr. Nero, our story today occurs. Verse 1 of Acts 27 begins, And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they, were, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan Regiment. In this story, the gospel story, the church begins in the Roman Empire, which circles the Mediterranean Sea. And it is in the heart of that in Israel where God sent his only begotten son. And through him, disciples were made, the sins of the world were paid for, he rose from the dead, ascended, and sent back the Holy Spirit to empower him to plant churches around the Roman Empire. And so in our story, Paul has been imprisoned in Caesarea for two years. And in today's story, he begins his voyage to Rome. And it is not a short trip. In fact, today he doesn't make it there. So Julius is in charge of him. In fact, Julius is in charge of everything. Wherever a Roman centurion would go, he carried a lot of authority. Verse 2, so entering the ship of Andromatum, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia, that is, 
Turkey, Western Asia. We're going to you know, kind of stay within land site. Um, Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. Now, he's a spiritual brother of Paul, one of Paul's disciples. We see him in Acts 19, Acts 20. We see him mentioned in Colossians and in Philemon. Verse 3, the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. So there's a church in Sidon, or Syria, where Paul is able to have a day of fellowship and to eat some food that's not on board a ship. Verse 4, when we put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. So they stayed close to the island of Cyprus. And when we had sailed over the sea, which was off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. So in uh, Lycia, Myra, they changed ships. And it's a ship from Alexandria. It's a freighter. A big ship with a big square sail, and um, it's slow moving, but it's headed to Rome to bring supplies to the emperor. And so they're on board that ship. Verse 7, when we sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Sinaitis, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. So they stop in Fair Havens and port there. Now when much time had been spent, and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was all over, Paul advised them. Now the fast is Yom Kippur, the annual fast that Judaism practices to this day. And Paul was an active Jew, a rabbi who believed in Jesus. And so we determine what time this is. The Judaism practices a lunar calendar, and so the days, the holidays, the feast days move around, but not way far within a one-month time. So this time was between September 14th and October 14th. In fact, if you could back it up and find the day, you could probably come pretty close to when this was. And so the seas were not friendly at this time. But they were tempted to make an exception, and Paul warned them. He said, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Now, what did he know about it? He wasn't a sailor. He's a rabbi. What does he know? Well, this guy's traveled around the empire. In fact, he's already been through a couple shipwrecks. And uh, at one point, he spent a night and a day in open seas, clinging on to something to hold on to. Nevertheless, verse 11, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman. He's got, he's got experience, right? And the owner of the ship, he's the one carrying the big risk, more persuaded by them than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, Fair Havens wasn't set up for people to stay for long times, I guess, the majority advised to set sail from there also. So democracy prevailed. That always makes the right decision, right? Take a poll. What do the majority says? 
That's always right, right? Not so much. All the Americans said amen. Because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix. By the time I get to Phoenix, it's only 70 miles away. And you can stay within eyeshot of, you can see land all the way. So what's the problem, right? It's a harbor of Crete also on the same island, opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. They probably had more conveniences for sailors. Sailors often have such a boring job. When they get to land, they want to party. They want to have some action. They want to have some fun. Who wants to stay in Fairhaven all winter long? What a bummer. Well... They made a mistake. First, they were fooled. They thought there was confirmation. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. Of course, they're just going 70 miles. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose. The word there in Greek is typhonicus, a typhoon, called Euroclidon. We would call it a nor'easter, wind out of the north and the east. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. We had to work with it. And running under the, under the shelter of another island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. Ships at that time would pull their lifeboat behind them, their skiff, the, the boat they would board with in shallow ports. But in stormy weather, they could lose it, or the rope could break, or it could slow the ship down, or it could bang into the ship and be damaged, or even damage the ship. Verse 17, when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, fearing lest they run aground on the Sirtis sands, they struck sail, and so were driven. Uh, Greg, a former Coast Guard here, shared with me that ships at that time, ships are all flexible. And so by them wrapping ropes around the whole of the ship. They not only strengthen the ship, but they help increase the tension in the flexibility. And they didn't know where they were. They thought they might near, be near the sands of Sirtis, which uh, is about 100 miles from Libya. It's an area about 300 miles in, in uh, diameter, I think, where the seas kind of get shallow, and in a storm, the big waves could ram you where you would hit the ground. And then another wave could come up, and while you're down, cover you up, and you're a goner. So they tried to strengthen the ship so they would be uh, stronger. Because we are exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. They started throwing things overboard. The third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Uh-oh, we're going to need that later, but survival trumps it all, right? Verse 20, now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. They didn't know where they were. They didn't know where they were going. There was no way to read the stars at night to determine, you know, where north was. No way to determine by day where east or west was. The clouds were thick. They're in this typhoon. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. I told you so. And not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. 
And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night, now he tells why he knows this, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, and here's what the angel said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So everybody on the boat with you is not going to die. That's the blessing, right? Verse 25. Therefore, Paul's speaking now, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now when the 14th night had come, that's 336 hours of the storm. As we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, uh, at this time when the, this part of the mid-Mediterranean Sea was called Adriatic, it's not exactly the same location we call the Adriatic Sea today, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. Now, how, how could a sailor sense land at midnight? You can't see anything, right? And in cloudy, you couldn't see lights on the shore. But there's a change in the sound. It's like, is that surf I hear? Is that pounding waves on shore? There's just a change in the atmosphere. They took soundings. Now, that's not sonar. Ancient sonar. They took soundings. No, they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they'd gone further, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. A fathom is the distance between your fingertips. It's about six feet. So 15 fathoms is about 90 feet. So the water is getting shallower. Now what is a sounding? It's a long rope with a weight on the end that has something sticky on it. And you let it down into the water. And when you feel like you've hit bottom, you pull it up and measure. And when you reach that weight with something sticky on it, and you've got evidence of sand or mud or rocks or something, on it, evidence that it did hit bottom, then you know how far the surface is below you. So they're getting in shallower territory. Verse 29, Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. So probably on each side of the rear of the boat, they dropped two anchors each side. Why would they drop it from the stern? Well, being near land, the waves are going towards land. If they dropped anchors normally from the bow, it would turn the ship around backwards, you know, because the water would push it. And uh, then you can't steer a ship heading towards land with the rudder facing the shore. You've got to have the bow out front. So they, they uh, weighted down the back of it so that they could be facing the shore. Verse 30, this is funny. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea, under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, you know, if you're on a cruise and you see the crew getting off, that's, a sign, that's not a good sign. In the same ocean, uh, there was that cruise ship that ran aground, and the captain was one of the first ones to get off. Is he still in jail? Not a good sign. So Paul narks on him. He exposes him. Verse 31. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Wait a minute, Paul. Doesn't this contradict what you said? It doesn't. You'll see in a minute. 
Verse 32, then the soldiers, they prevent this from happening. They cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. So, sorry, crew, you're still with us. <laughs> Verse 33, and as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all. Now, notice he's a prisoner, and he's, it's like he's in charge, right? Everybody, listen up. Saying, today is the 14th day. You have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Either they were sick, or they were fasting, or they just didn't have time because they were fighting to save themselves, or there was no way to prepare the food that they wanted to eat, or their food was all soggy. I don't know. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. That's good news for the balding guys. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food for themselves. They were going to need some energy. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. So they threw all the cargo out of the ship to be continued. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us today as we seek to apply keys from this story to our lives. Lord, remind us of the things we know and teach us the things we need to know. And in Jesus' name. Encourage every person here. Make us encouragers of one another. Amen. I'd like to speak to you today on the subject, how to sail through any gale. How to survive a storm victoriously. The Bible has numerous stories on storms. The story of the great flood, that's a big storm. Uh, the story of Jonah, that involves a storm. Uh, the story of Job involves a storm. A storm tears down his house, and that's how he loses his kids. The story of Jesus has a couple storms, one where he's walking on the water and the other where he's calming the seas and then rebuking his disciples for their unbelief. As he told them, hey, we're going to the other side, and then he falls asleep. And they wake him up, and he calms the sea and then says, why can't you guys have some faith? I've been through a storm. I don't remember it, though. I was too little. April 5th, the day before Easter, 1958, my sister was eight days old, born March 28th. My parents were pastoring in Cesar, Illinois, their first congregation, and um, my mother had acquired, been blessed with a new Easter outfit with gloves, hat, dress, shoes, the works, had it laid out on the bed, getting ready for Easter, and that afternoon, the clouds began to gather. My dad says they kind of had a greenish hue. The storm arose swiftly. They didn't have time to get in the basement. This was one of those houses with a basement where you had to go outside and open the trap doors to go down. So they quickly huddled by the main wall in the middle of the house in the living room. And it tore the roof completely off the house. But no one suffered a scratch in the house. Now the house next door the person died of a heart attack even though his house wasn't destroyed. We had a beagle puppy, Toby, that disappeared. We never knew what happened to Toby. This is my mother and the little guy standing there holding her left hand is yours truly. 
So, I want to encourage you. There are storms of many different kinds. There's physical storms, as, as there are in our story today. If you watch the news, there's media storms, which sometimes the media seems to keep them going. Um, sometimes it seems like our president is stirring up storms. Uh, there's relational storms. Maybe your family's getting tore up. That's a storm. There's military storms at war, people in conflict. There's political storms. There's problems, economic storms. The Depression was a huge economic storm that hit our country. Uh, some would say the recession was a storm. Maybe you're going through a storm today, or maybe everything's all right. My efforts today is to encourage those that are going through a storm and equip those of us who aren't going through a storm to be an encouragement to those who are. So my first point is avoid storms whenever possible. And my second point is what to do if you're going through a storm. So you want to avoid storms. Know the threats of storms are very real. Don't poo-poo what the weatherman says. If they're saying evacuate, get out of Dodge as soon as you can. Don't wait till there's hours and hours of traffic jams like our niece did coming out of Houston. Take it seriously because they are very real. When much time had been spent, they lollygagged around. Who knows why they took their time at Fairhaven? Sailing was now dangerous, and Paul advised them, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. It wasn't looking good. But remember to hear and heed wise counsel, which in this story people didn't. The experts knew better. You know what an expert is? A former drip under pressure. It's for the hi-hat. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. Do not sacrifice safety for convenience. Because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, and the majority advised to set sail from there also, the sailors wanted to go to Phoenix. By the time I get to Phoenix, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, the harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. But they never made it to Phoenix because of the weather. What to do when a storm is unavoidable? Maybe it's a choice that someone else made. Maybe it's your own foolish choice. Uh, what do you do? Just, well, I'm doomed. No, cry out to God, help. <laughs> help. Speak encouraging words to everyone that's going through the storm with you. Just do it. And when you get depressed, maybe they'll speak encouraging words to you. The person you help may help you. The bridge you build may be one you'll use. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me, I told you so, and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you, take heart, be encouraged. For there will be no loss of life among you. But the ship is a goner. Bad news for the owner, but everybody else, hey, it's good. 
Declare your faith in God and his promises. And here's his promise. There stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God. I know it looks like we're goners, but I have faith in God that it will be just as it was told me. Confess what you believe. Hold on to the promises you've been given. But be honest. Be truthful about the realities of hardships. If you have a cold, don't stand there and say, I don't have a cold. That's lying. You got one? The whole principle of confession of faith is not to complain and whine, but speak the truth. We live in the real world, do we not? However, in the midst of this encouragement, here's the truth. We're going to have to run aground somewhere on some island. Not sure where, but this is what God has shown me. Know that all God's promises have conditions, though. So remember this. As the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea under the pretense of putting out anchors from the prow. Hey, guys, we just got to let this boat down here. We got to deal with our anchors out front. We got them in the back, but we need to really secure this ship. Paul caught them. He knew what they were doing. Paul said to the centurion, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Guys, your life is in danger if these guys get off. So on the surface, you would think, now how how could Paul just change horses like that? Didn't he say nobody's going to die, and now these guys want to get off the ship early? Now you guys are going to die if they do this? Well, look at the promise. Back to verse 24. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with him. The promise is for everybody. So these guys changed the situation. You better not let them escape. All of God's promises pretty much have conditions. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. You don't believe. Well, I thought the Bible says we'll be saved if you believe. In the Old Testament, under the law, if you do this, I will do this. The condition. If you don't do this, I will do this or I won't do this. So this promise had conditions. Everybody was going to be saved, so everybody had to sail with Paul. Next point. Do not neglect your needs for nourishment. This is a practical thing. We all need to eat. As day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, today is the 14th day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment. Sometimes the most encouraging thing you, do, you can do is have a good meal. You may sit there and think, well, Pastor Allen, you must be really encouraged. I am. <laughs> there is a place for fasting, but there's a place for feasting. Sometimes the most encouraging thing you can do is get a good night's rest. Take a nap. Give it a rest. Get some nourishment. This is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. Next, honor God publicly by being thankful. Thankfulness is one of our weapons. When we're going through a storm and discouragement is all around, 
There is no substitute for getting a piece of paper and making a list of all the things you're thankful for. It's one of our weapons. Give thanks in everything. Another verse says, give thanks for everything. How can you do that? Based on Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to those that love God, called according to his purpose. What is that good? We're being conformed to the image of Jesus. He said these things. He took bread, gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and took food for themselves. People around you need to be reminded of things to be thankful for. Encouraging yourself will encourage others. Being thankful. And lay aside all the baggage, all your encumbrances. They cleared that ship out. When they had eaten enough, missing a T there, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. And they let go of the anchors and left them in the sea. Wait a minute, we're going to need those. No, guys, we're going for broke. The prophecy said we're going to lose the ship, but we're not going to die. So we don't need this weight. Let it go. This principle of letting things go is, is a New Testament principle. Paul told the church in Rome, let us throw off the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. You can't have the armor of light on on top of darkness. You've got to let go of stuff. To the church in Ephesus, chapter 4, he said, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We come to God like we are. We don't get good to get God. We get God to get good. And when he is in our life, then he calls us to begin to let go of stuff. Well, I'll become a Christian when I'm good and ready. I'll become a Christian when I get my act together. No, you become a Christian as you are. And then he empowers us and shows us what to let go of. Shows us, helps us to get rid of the baggage. The brother of Jesus wrote, James 1, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Run with endurance the race that is set before us. How will you do that? Hebrews 12.1. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How many enjoy watching the Olympics? If you watch the track events, are they carrying backpacks? Marathon race, the Boston Marathon, are they wearing weights on their feet? Maybe when they train, but not in that race. You get rid of stuff. Peter wrote in his first letter, chapter 2, put away all malice. Everybody said all. And all deceit, all. And hypocrisy. You know all is implied, so say all. And envy. And all slander. Long for spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up in salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So put these things away. To sail through any gale and to help others sail through their gales, speak encouraging words to them. Declare your faith in God. Give them reasons for hope. Be truthful about reality at the same time. Know that God's promises have conditions and check that you're abiding by the conditions of his promises. Do not neglect your personal needs for nourishment. Honor God publicly 
and lay aside all encumbrances and baggage. And if you're not a believer, invite the Lord Jesus on board the ship of your life. And maybe you are a believer, but you're trying to be the captain of your ship. Let him be the Lord. Lord, you take over. I surrender. Back in the days of the Jesus movement, there used to be a song they sang, I was living for my master, trying really hard to be the driver. But now I'm riding in the back seat, and it's really great to let him drive. Sorry if I messed that up for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You may say, I've heard that before, but I'm not good enough. It's not about being good enough. It's about recognizing our need. God is good enough to save us like we are. It's called grace. And to hammer this point home, the shock of the Christian world and probably many in the secular world, Chris Pratt, while receiving an award at the MTV Awards, made this declaration of the gospel. As short as it was, it is the truth for us all to heed. God is real. God loves you. God wants the best for you. Believe that. I do. Learn to pray. It's easy, and it's so good for your soul. And finally, nobody is perfect. People are going to tell you you're perfect just the way you are. You're not. You are imperfect. You always will be. But there is a powerful force that designed you that way. And if you're willing to accept that, you will have grace. And grace is a gift. And like the freedom that we enjoy in this country, that grace was paid for with somebody else's blood, do not forget it. Don't take it for granted. God bless you. Lord, I pray for every person here, especially and firstly for those that do not know you, that they would open their hearts up to you today and receive you on board the ship of their life. And those that do know you today, they would invite you to take the helm, take control of the rudder. And Lord, those of us that do know you and you are leading and guiding us, help us, Lord, to be encouragement to our brothers and sisters who are going through storms. And Lord, I pray especially for those who are suffering right now because of the winds, the gale that they're going through. I pray, Lord, they keep their faith in you, that this word would encourage them that you use us to encourage them. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing this song together, and then we're going to call the prayer team forward. And anyone here that needs prayer about anything related to the sermon or otherwise will be up here to pray for you. Let's worship the Lord. Oh, you love me.
This is my 